All right, well, hey, join me this morning. Um, we'll actually have you turn to the book of Galatians in Galatians 6. And um, we're just going to continue our, our series on acceptable service. And this morning we want to look at um, what's called the one another's of Scripture. And, and for those of you who have studied your Bibles, maybe you've noticed uh, the re- repetitive use of this phrase, one another's, one another's, one another's. We're going to kind of look at those briefly this morning in kind of summary fashion. Um, but more importantly, I want to look at kind of the, the baseline or the backdrop or the foundation for executing the one another's that we find in the Scripture. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. But as a quick review... Uh, our definition that we've been working with for acceptable service or ministry, again, it's taken from Warren Wearsby, but it's when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And, and last week, we started to look at some of the tools, some of the resources that God has provided believers in Jesus Christ um, to function as loving channels to meet human needs. And those were called spiritual gifts. And so, so far in the study, we've looked at the keys to acceptable service. We've looked at the hindrances, what hinders us. Um, and then last week, we looked at the tools provided. We looked at spiritual gifts heavily last week. We briefly mentioned the Spirit of God, which is unfortunate because that's what many, many people do when they teach us. It's like, oh yeah, I am the Spirit of God. And I don't mean to I didn't mean to do that. We just kind of got emphasizing the spiritual gift aspect. Uh, and so this morning, I want to kind of emphasize and come back looking at, uh, to, to finish that section, just this emphasis on the empowering work of the Spirit of God. And so last week, what we talked about were really three points. I mentioned the fourth, but the th- three points were many of us have to realize we have a gift. You know, somebody, uh, some people who are, who are part of the body of Christ, who have put their faith in Christ, may not even realize that they have a spiritual gift, that that's something uh, that's a birthright for every believer. So we want to realize we've got a gift. We want to desire to know it. We want to understand what it is. And then we want to recognize that there's value in it. You know, it's one thing if, if somebody finds out they've got a gift and it's the gift they always wanted, but then to find out maybe their spiritual gift isn't the one they wanted. And there's this gift envy that goes around um, even in churches, unfortunately, instead of saying, you know what, whatever the, the master of the orchestra wants, that's what part I want to play. Whatever the Lord Jesus wants me to fulfill in this body, that's the part I want to fulfill. Uh, and we looked at how everyone uh, has got a part and how it's just very important to recognize what that part is. And then what we're going to look at briefly this morning before we get into one another's is that the fact that if you can know your part, you can be gifted for your part, but if you're not depending upon the Lord to fulfill your part, it's still going to be worthless. It's just going to be activity. It won't be acceptable service and it won't build up the body. You know, as I was thinking this, this week uh, about an illust- another illustration um, that we might use for ministry in the local church, um, I thought of the rowboat. And, you know, there's, there's really four types of people in a rowboat. There are, there are people who are rowing with you. There are people who are rowing against you. There are people who have their oars in the water but aren't rowing. So they're, they're kind of a hindrance in some ways. And then there are people that never put their oars in the water. Um, you know, as, and as we use that illustration to look at our local body here, um, I would just ask you, what role, what person are you in the boat this morning? 
Are, are you somebody that's got your oars in the water and as best you understand with the way the elders are leading this church, are you rowing with us in the same direction? Or, or as you sit there today, do you recognize that maybe you've been rowing in the opposite direction? Maybe you've got uh, a burr in your saddle over something that you need to address with either another believer in the body, with one of the leaders. And so you've been, found yourself rowing against, and, and maybe some of you just have your oars out in the, you know, I, I remember fishing with a guy one time, and I was rowing, and I was like, man, this is a lot harder going out than it was, or, or coming in than it was going out. And I look back, my buddy's got his oars in the water, and he's taking a nap. I'm like, dude, if you're going to take a nap, at least get your oars in the boat, you know, like, don't hold me back. So, I mean, even, even holding your oars in the water and not rowing with is, is, can be a hindrance. And so just, uh, and then obviously those who, who just have their oars in the boat that never really get off the bench, never um, really enjoy, kind of like the three girls here and the, the poor girl's rowing away and she's rowing the weight of all four girls. And so we see that as, as hopefully a nice um, image into the body. Now, um, it was like a, one guy said in a quote, only the guy who is not rowing has time to rock the boat, you know? And you, and you kind of see that in churches too, it, people just taking shots from the cheap seats. Um, not actually engaged in the ministry, but criticizing everything that's going on in the ministry. So, um, you know, it's just a question as we go forward. What, what role are you in, in this boat called Grace Community Fellowship? What, what role are you playing? What role... Uh, do you want to play? And, you know, we, our goal here is not to just um, manipulate any, everybody into activity. We, we actually want to be the local church that God wants us to be. God has a desire for the effectiveness of this local body. You are a part of it. That's what I want. I hope that's what you want, just to be everything that the Lord Jesus wants us to be at this time in space, this time in history. Um, that's what we want together. And so as we look at that, one of the, the keys, and it's not just uh, a, a partial key, this is um, the baseline. This is where the rubber meets the road, this fourth point. And that is this, that the individual believer, as it relates to their spiritual giftedness, we've got to recognize that our role's only going to be fulfilled as we depend upon the Lord. Look to him for divine resources, divine strength to fulfill our role. See, and that's what we've said before, that even if we know our role, even if we know how we're spiritually gifted, even if we have all of this desire to fulfill it, it's not enough to accomplish it. Do we, I mean, do we believe that? Are we, are we bought into that? Do we understand that even if we have all of this in our thinking, we know what we're supposed to do, we want to do it, that that's not enough to accomplish it effectively? Go no further than Romans 7, a man who had the right desires regarding God's law, knew God's law, and yet what do we find in Romans 7? He can't fulfill it. He doesn't have the power to do what he wants to do. And so it's not until Romans 8, you come out of Romans 7, it's I, 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 self-reliant strategies for living the Christian life. I got my gift. I know my gifting. I want to do it. You have to give me space to do it. I, 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 I. And the Christian life is not I, but Christ. The Christian life is dependent upon the empowering work of the Holy Spirit to execute these desires given by God. And so we've got to understand when it comes to fulfilling our gift, the Spirit of God has got to accomplish this in and through us as we depend upon him. That is essential 
to acceptable service. It's clear from the scriptures that none of us can serve acceptably uh, unless God is working in and through us. We're walking in dependence, taking advantage of divine resources, depending on divine resources to serve him acceptably. And that's what the scripture teaches. And so we want to be sure that we incorporate that. The verse we looked at in communion of uh, Hebrews uh, 13, 20 and 21, which stated that it was God who completes us to do the good works, that it's God who's continually working in us. And see, if we don't tap into that resource, there's no way that we can be well-pleasing in his sight because Jesus actually nailed it when he said in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing, right? He didn't say without me, you can do some things. You can kind of get a little done. No, without Jesus, we can do nothing. Without abiding in Christ, we can do nothing. You know, that's true of our church, do you, I mean, do we believe that? That I mean, there's, we got activities going on. Just look at our bulletin. You know, there's some weeks I can't even put an announcement in the bulletin because we got so much going on. But you know, if we're not living this way with this recognition, with this foundation and everything that we do around here, it's for naught. It, it means nothing. And yet, as we've said, good things are getting done, but are acceptable things getting done? See, that's the distinction we're trying to make uh, throughout this series. And so we move in um, to just some practical steps moving forward. And so let me share these quickly. Some of this will be review. How do you exercise your spiritual gift in dependence upon God's resources? Well, the first thing we've got to understand is that God has done the work to free you from sin's power. God has done the work to change the source from which you live the Christian life. We find that teaching in Romans 6. You need to know that you died with Christ to sin. You need to know that you were buried with Christ. And you need to know that you were raised with Christ in newness of life. Verse 11 in Romans 6, and now you need to count on it by faith. You need to start walking by faith in the truth that you have been co-crucified with Christ. And that's your only chance to be delivered from sin's power in the Christian life. That's your only chance at sanctification, not your self-reliant strategies to be good, to be more Christian. That is not how you live the Christian life. We need God to free us from sin's power. He did it through the mechanism of taking us and identifying us with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We gotta start depending upon that. And once we do, by faith, Romans 6, 13, Romans 12, 1, we need to start presenting ourselves to God. We need to start presenting our bodies to God, and we need to stop presenting our bodies, our members, to sin. That's also a faith word. It means standing near. So as many of us live our Christian life and we fail in sin, the reason you fail in sin is not because you didn't wake up and read your Bible for an hour that morning. That's not the reason. It's not because you didn't pray for an hour and one minute. That's not the reason. It's because in that moment when you failed, you presented yourself to the sin nature. That's why you failed. That's why you were dominated by sin. That's why you committed the acts of sin that you committed. And it's all there in Romans 6. And so what are some practical steps to fulfill our gifts in this body, to do our part, to accomplish the team goal of making disciples, evangelizing the lost, teaching the saved? How do we play our role? We simply by faith rest in what God has already done. And we by faith begin to present ourselves to God. That's one very practical step. And some people, you, you, you go through that section and they're like, yeah, but give me something practical. That's as practical as we can get. That's, I know it's doctrinal, but that is practical. 
That's what we're talking about, thinking about on a daily basis, resting in your deliverance from sin based on the work of, of Jesus Christ. Another practical thing that you can do to fulfill your gift, independence upon the Lord, is you can buy, start buying into the proper local church mentality. I don't know where this thing has gone off the rail, and I'm not talking about this local church per se. I'm talking about the universal church in general. Where did this thing go off the rail? Because, you know, the mindset of the average Christian is you got clergy and you got laity. You, you got the, the paid ministers and then you got everybody else. And so the paid ministers do the work of the ministry and we get to just come and support the paid ministers and, and watch them do their thing. That's not biblical Christianity. We, we need a, a paradigm shift as a church globally to say, we're not going to buy into that garbage anymore. No wonder the church is so impotent. No wonder the church doesn't accomplish probably all that God wants it to accomplish is because we bought into a false premise to start with. The local church, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, is gifted, independent saints doing the work of the ministry as they come to a, a gathering house of believers to get, to get equipped to do the very ministry that God has called them to do. Are you in ministry this morning? You say, oh, no, I'm a, I'm a plumber. I'm a, I work for Delta. No, I, the, only guy that's in, the only people in ministry this morning is, is John, Carl, and Ross. If that's how you think, you've bought into the worldly philosophy of church. We need a paradigm shift. When I ask you if you're in ministry, you say, yeah, I'm in ministry. That's right. When I ask who are you in ministry for, that's when you're going to say, I boast in Jesus Christ. I'm glad to be a part of what he's doing on this earth. And I've got a role. And I've been gifted to do a role. And God created me individually in Christ Jesus, relationally, to do the good works that he's prepared for me to walk in. And guess what, Pastor John? You can't walk in my good works because God's got them individually designed for me. And I'm going to say hallelujah. You're exactly right. And you know, if each one of us thought that way, we would come to church with a different mindset. And I'm not saying you'd have to take notes. I'm just saying you'd come thinking, I need to get equipped. I need to get equipped because God may do something in this teaching this morning to equip me for something I may face on Wednesday afternoon and I want to be ready and I'm excited about what that's going to be. We don't think that way about church, do we? We think like, did we leave a candle on when we left the house? We think about where we're going to eat after church. We think about how long our pastor is going to spend in the book of Romans, Right? Where's he going to get to today? Man, that hit a nerve. Whoa. We think about everything but what we should be thinking about. And that's a challenge. I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head, but I want to challenge you this morning. Stop thinking that way. You're a part of the solution. You're a part of the body of Christ. Jesus Christ himself has a role for you. And I don't care if you're 84 and I don't care if you're five years old. Jesus Christ has a role for every believer in this room. Do you buy that? Do you believe that? Another practical step, get equipped. How do you get equipped? Well, Ephesians 4 tells us God's given gifted men to the church. We've got, we've got multiple pastors 
teachers here. We've got multiple men who are gifted in teaching. We've got folks who I believe are gifted in evangelism. These are all men that if you can expose yourself to and take advantage of these teaching ministries, that's why they're here. They're not here to take up a parking space out there. They're not here to collect uh, the money that you give. I mean, they're here to teach and equip so that you can more better. Is that good English? More better? Probably not. But that you can more better fulfill the ministry that God's called you individually. So that's a practical step. There's teaching. You might say, man, what am I going to get out of the book of Jeremiah Sunday morning and Sunday school? What am I going to get out of the canon? I mean, they're going to talk about the Apocrypha and the LXX, and they're going to talk about the Masoretic text, and ah, that's not for me. Who knows? Maybe you'll have a conversation with somebody this week, and you're going to need that information. And if you come, you'll be equipped. That's my shameless plug for Sunday night tonight. All right. And then we want to be a good steward regarding our gifts. You know, when you are a steward, you realize by definition that means you don't own it. We know that, right? It's not your gift. It's God's gift. And just like a steward in ancient times would manage the affairs of their master, it wasn't their own affairs, but they managed the affairs for their masters. And then when they were done with their role, the master still owned it. This is how we need to view our spiritual gifts. God has given you something that he wants to use, that he wants to get some mileage out of in your life. And you want that too. You want God to use you in whatever way they can. So we want to be good stewards. And so we roll into how do we do that, especially as it relates to the body of Christ. And we start to begin to look at this this idea of the one another's of Scripture. And so just as a, a quick brief overview Um, One another, obviously this is um, Captain Obvious here, but it's two words in the English, but it's only one word in the Greek. It's alelon is the word. It's it's a one-word Greek term. Uh, It's used a hundred times in 94 New Testament verses. Sixty of those are, or roughly, depending on how you count them, are instructions to the body of Christ. Sixty of them are instructions as to how we're to behave toward one another. Uh, and when we look at this word, one another, just by definition, it's uh, what I would call a reciprocal pronoun. That means each side has a role. Each side is, is doing something for the other side. There's a, there's a connection in the body of Christ. There's, a, there's a, a tying together, and we'll kind of look at a verse here in a second. The one another's of Scripture um, what we're going to find is they refer to other believers in the body of Christ. We're not talking here when we get to the one another. So we're not talking about ministry to those outside of the church. We're not talking about ministry to unbelievers. We're talking about ministry within the local church. And that's important. And, and, and so many times ministries can think about um, ministering to, to those who are unsaved. And that's great. That's a part of our focus. But then many ministries that do that, they neglect the needs of the body of Christ. And that is also a focus. In fact, Galatians 6.10 says this. Uh, Paul is, is concluding his epistle there. And he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. So that encompasses everybody, but especially to those who are the household of faith. Especially those. That means your, your brother and sister in Christ should, t- should hold kind of a, a special place in your thinking. And what typically happens in family situations? Who are the people that you're the most rude to, obnoxious to, 
mean to, short with. Oh, it's, it's the person you're trying to impress, right? No, it's your family. For those of you that are married, it's your spouse you typically take it out on. It's your kids. It's the people that know you best, that you let your guard down and you let it all uh, fly. And it's the people outside that you're trying to put a smile on and impress and make them like you. And then when you get home, you just rip into the people that love you the most. And, you know, we do the same thing in the body of Christ many times. And we treat our brothers and sisters with, with more disdain than somebody outside. And so the one and others are designed to kind of refocus uh, this attention where, where God has it. Because there's a definite building up that needs to happen in the body of Christ so that we can become equipped and more effective out there. So it's, it, they work hand-to-hand and get together. I don't know if you noticed, but I highlighted a word here, Spiritual. We've said this before, but it's probably worth saying again. Um, just because somebody is in their 80s doesn't mean they're spiritual. We, we know that, right? Just because somebody's been saved for 50 years doesn't mean they're spiritual. We, we know that, right? Just because somebody's 14 doesn't mean they're not spiritual. We, I hope we understand that. Now, I'm not talking about spiritually mature. That's, a to, I'm ta- that's totally different. But those people in this room who are walking in dependence upon the Lord at this moment, walking by means of the Spirit, you are spiritual. That's what we need to fulfill the one another commands of Scripture. We need to be walking by means of the Spirit. We need to be spiritual. And that's what I mean by that. So that's made up of gray hairs and brown hairs and maybe even red redhead um, people too. That's a little slight to my daughter. Um, just joke. She can take it. All right. The other thing that we see is that um, as we look at the one another's of Scripture, our new position in Christ is, uh, is what inextricably unites us to one another. Romans 12.5, I want you to notice this. Um, right on the heels uh, and right in the section of talking about spiritual gifts, Paul writes this in Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 5. He goes back to that body illustration and he says this, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually, notice this next phrase, members of one another. Members of one another. That means that not only as a believer in Jesus Christ are you united, are you united to the Lord Jesus, but that you know that you're united, you're a member of every other part, every other member of the body of Christ. You have now been joined together. And that's why it's so important that, that God wants you to execute your role in the body of Christ. Remember last week we talked about there, there are 293 components that, that make up your hand, bones and ligaments and nerves and joints and all that. But, but if all 293 aren't coming together, you can't, you can't do this. It, like, you ever met somebody that can't move their hand? And what is, what is the natural reaction? What's wrong? Right? What's, what's wrong with your hand? What did you do? What injury did you have? What sickness do you have? What disease do you have? Because it's not normal if you can't move your hand. And see, the normal local church should be doing this all day. 
But in many local churches, the, this main nerve is out because they're, they've been sitting on the back row for the last 10 years, not doing anything. And then the, the, this ligament's out because they've been sitting on the front row the last 10, 15 years, not, not doing their part. And the hand just looks all, you know, crippled and contorted and, and can't, can't move and can't do what it's designed to do. And yet that's a great image of the local church. And so many times there, as a local church, the ministry is hamstrung, not because there's not people there willing to do their part, but because many people have no interest in fulfilling theirs. And that's a shame. That's a shame that local churches can't be all that God has called them to be because each individual part is not functioning the way that God has placed them in the body. And see, we're all connected to one another. That's what's important. So as we look at these one another's, this is very important to understand. Let me pull up a quote by an author named J. Hampton Keithley III. And I think he really does a good job of describing these one another's. And he says, the one another actions of the body are the natural and necessary products of being members of one body. That makes sense. If we're connected to one another, we need to to function so that the next part can do their part as well. These actions, talking about the one another actions, promote unity. And and unity is not turning your brain off and just deciding to go with the flow. We know that, right? I, I have this feeling that there's this false thought going around Christendom that we should just unite arms with every denomination that is out there because we all say the name Jesus Christ. That's not unity. That's, that's uh, like checking your brain at the door. Now, I'm all about uniting with people that preach the gospel, that actually teach you can get saved, not by working, but by trusting in the finished work of Christ. I'll unite arms with that person all day long. I don't even care if they're in another state. I will rejoice to do ministry with that person. But you try to put somebody in my community of a different denomination, I don't even care about their denomination. I care what they think about Jesus Christ. Can we at least unite on the gospel? And yet we want to go lock arms and think we're doing something spiritual because we've got a host of all these different denominations together that we're just going to say this prayer with. What's that accomplishing? That's not unity. That's like checking doctrine at the door. That's just checking your brain at the door. When we look at unity, and one of the one another's we're going to look at, it's unity of mind. It's unity of mind. It's unity in the way that you think about key, key teaching in the Bible. One of them especially has to be the foundation of the gospel. It's got to be that. Sorry, I got distracted. So these actions, they promote unity, care of one another, and they result in greater effectiveness through diversity and the use of our gifts. The one of the passages of the New Testament are designed to hinder independent individualism. You know how many churches are made up of a bunch of Lone Ranger Christians doing their own thing, just doing their own thing. Nothing's tied to the local church. Just come in, do their own thing. Them and Tonto just riding off into the sunset, you know? Lone Ranger Christians, independent individualism, apathy toward other believers. Something is going on. This is one of the, the things I really love about this body is I don't see that very much. I see somebody hurting in the body, and I see people just jumping to meet needs, jumping to reach out. I, I really appreciate that about you. Can I say that publicly? Thank you. I, I love you guys for that, and I really appreciate that. It's very meaningful to me, especially when I've been on the receiving end of some of that here recently. But I see the way 
that you love and you care for others. Ineffectiveness of the church through idle members. It's, these are designed to hinder that. And then it's designed to hinder the spirit of clericalism and spectator-itis. I love that word. Spectator-itis. I think there's an app for that, maybe. But, uh, or a cream. But... Um, you know, that idea that, that, you know, the paid guys do all the ministry and we just kind of come watch them. That's, that's spectator-itis and, and, and buying into that mentality that you're involved. And so, how do we fulfill the one another commands? We, I want to look at that in more detail right now. We may not get to even some of the specific one another's because um, we've, we've taken some time to introduce that. But I want to look at the fulfillment of that. And so, to do that, um, how do we one another one another? How, are, how do we get good at one anothering, uh, as this slide says? Well, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And, and what we're going to see as we turn to Philippians chapter 2, and as we work through this, these couple of verses, is we're going to see that it all starts in the mind. It all starts in the way that you think. And, you know, it's, it all starts, uh, you know, when we think of in terms of activity, naturally we start to think of external activity, things that we do. And I want to challenge your, your thinking this morning that if you're going to be active in something in your Christian life, just one thing, I want to challenge you to be active in faith. Just totally shift your mindset from whatever you've thought before and say, you know what, I want to be a believer that is actively trusting the Lord. I want to put all of my energy learning what that means. Not all of my energy just, you know, flipping around with your body and doing external things. Because if you will be active in faith, God will passively, that means he'll do it, produce through you. We want production, right? I mean, that's the heart of every believer is we want to produce from the Lord. We want to be pleasing to the Lord. But it's not going to happen unless we're actively depending, and then God will passively produce through us. And so the activity, the emphasis needs to bear there. And I think we're going to see that in Philippians chapter 2 to kind of give it away a little bit. Um, Let me go back because I don't want to give that far away. This thing doesn't like reverse very much. Okay, we'll just leave it. But in Philippians 2, verse 5, and this is how we're going to work our way back into our text, Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, he goes on to describe that mindset a little bit further in verses 6 through 8, but I believe he also describes it in verses 3 through 4, and that's what we want to look at this morning. And verse 3 starts off, uh, let's just read uh, verse 3 in this, this phrase, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, uh, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other as better uh, than themselves. And so we see this verse, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And you know, what's interesting about this verse is it actually doesn't have a main verb. So that, that verb done right there is, is kind of inserted by the translators to help you, help you and I understand what the, the point Paul's trying to make is. But also what's interesting about it is, is because it's not there, it actually makes it a stronger statement. It actually intensifies what's being said. And the idea might be, if we just kind of fleshed it out, it, it might be don't even think any thoughts motivated by selfish ambition. Like, don't even go there. 
Don't even take one step in that direction. Don't even take a toenail in that direction. Could we emphasize that any more clear? Don't even, don't even, even inch that way. It's kind of the idea. And so when he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, he means nothing, not even a little bit. Like we need to guard. So what does selfish ambition mean? Well, literally this word meant um, to work for hire. Uh, it represents a motive of self-interest. Uh, it motivates a, a, or represents a motive similar to being a mercenary. You know mercenaries, right? They, they hire themselves out to the highest bidder just to, to benefit themselves. What's really interesting about this word, um, anybody, have, have you ever disliked a politician in your life? Okay. So we got a normal group here. Um, this word was used to politicians, canvassing of office in Paul's day. See, what do politicians do when they canvass? They're the biggest phonies in the world. Who am I speaking to today? I'm speaking to a coal group from West Virginia. I love coal. I want coal. And, and they just adjust like chameleons as to what they do. They shake hands. They give hugs. They kiss babies, right? They do all this stuff. They canvas. Why do they do that? Oh, because I care about you, right? I'm with you, one politician said recently. I'm with you. And you know what that really translated means in English? I'm with me. I love me some me. I want me to be successful. I want me to win. I want this to all about be about me. He's saying, man, don't even go down that road. Don't even, don't even lead out that way. Let nothing be done that way. Don't even take a step that way. And you know that this happens in the church? This, this type of thinking happens in the church of Jesus Christ? This type of thinking will destroy your ability to fulfill the one another's of Scripture. You won't be able to do it if this is how you think. People trying to win people to their side of a church dispute or disagreement. We were just talking to some friends last night. And, you know, the model at church these days is if you have a disagreement with somebody, you don't tell that person, you tell everybody else. You tell me where that's biblical. Chapter and verse me on that because... I've never seen that taught in the Bible. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You go address it directly with that person. And yet how much garbage goes on in our local churches because people can't even do something that simple. I got a problem with you, so I'm going to tell 150 other people about you, but I'm never going to talk to you. See, these are hindrances. When we think this way, when we're selfishly ambitious, we destroy our ability to fulfill the one another's. We destroy the ability of this local church to build one another up, to actually accomplish what Jesus Christ wants to do in noon in Georgia. It hits home. This is personal. We, we should be taking this very serious. There was a church in in Texas that made the news years ago. And, and the reason they made the news is because they had a division amongst the members of their body and they were fighting publicly over everything. In fact, the reason it made the news is because they had gone all the way into the court system suing each other, these multiple sides suing each other for control of the building, control of the assets, control of everything. And one reporter said, man, this is crazy. How did it ever get this far? And, and that reporter began to trace back the initial thing that set this thing off. You ready for this? An elder 
at the church showed up at a potluck, put his plate out, and the person serving the ham that night was part of a different faction in the church than he was a part of, and they gave him a smaller portion of ham than the young boy that went just before him. Set off fireworks in that church. They never recovered. This made the news. How, how embarrassing in the church of Jesus Christ to have selfish ambition going on, pol- politicking. We don't even like it out there. We don't even like it in Washington. Why would we bring it into our sphere? Why would we ever engage in that? And, and you know why we do? Because we don't think it's going to hurt anybody. We don't think it's going to be harmful. We think we can get away with it. We don't get hit by lightning immediately after we share something about somebody else. And so we think we can just go on and do it and do it. And yet, underneath the surface, this church, any church out there that has that involved, we're not as effective as we could be for Jesus Christ. Does anybody want to see unsaved people put their faith in Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be exciting to just get an influx into this church of people that, that you went out and, and you were involved in and you built relationships and you were given the opportunity to share the gospel and then they began to come to our local church and it got so bad that you couldn't find a parking space in the parking lot? Whoo-wee. Man, how about that? That's some exciting stuff. And yet, many times when this garbage is going on behind the scenes, we're, it robs us of our ineffectiveness. It hamstrings the local church from its effectiveness. You know, James uses this same word in James 3, 14 through 16. He, he's, he calls it selfish ambition or self-seeking, I think is the way it's translated in James. And you know where James says this comes from? I, I, you know, I like James because he doesn't hold any punches. He's kind of like the Mike Tyson of the New Testament. Like he just throws uppercuts, this guy does. He says it's demonic. He just calls it out, man. It's, it's demonic. It's, it's going to destroy what God's trying to do in his local church. And yet, how many believers engage in this garbage? How easy. And, and you know what? We find out in Philippians 4, they were having the same thing. Anybody, anybody ever heard of a, a daughter in Christian circles named Yodius or Sanctity? No, those names are like mud. Because <laughs> these are the exact thing these women were doing to this church. And so Paul is, is addressing it here. You know, let me just say one other thing, because I, I feel like it, it's a practical application of this point. And um, do, you know, do you know that... Um, how can I say this delicately? Um, do you know that there are certain people that can say something without saying something? Do you know what I mean by that? They, they can say something that's doing this exact thing, but then if confronted with saying what they said, they know how to squirm out of it. Anybody ever tried to nail jello to a wall? That's the kind of person I'm talking about. Now, how do people do that in our day? Well, technology has made it a lot worse. That's the problem. Because what happens is somebody posts a question on Facebook. I didn't say anything. I just asked a question. See how that goes? And so what they're doing sometimes when people do that is they're putting a flag out there 
to, to test the waters, to see if anyone else agrees with them, drawing people to their side, drawing people to their group, drawing people to their little club. And then if someone calls them out on it, you know, jello to the, it just slides right off. No, I just asked a question. I wasn't trying to say anything. You see why James calls it demonic? That's deceptive. That's deceptive. People, people will do that on Facebook. Post a question, but in the question, they're really saying a lot. But they can weasel out of it when they need to. What about posting a quote on Facebook? You ever posted a quote trying to make a statement to one of your friends on Facebook? I'm going to post it here. Oh. So we get into all this passive, aggressive, selfish ambition, drawing people to our side kind of things, and we don't even know we're doing it. And it's destructive to the local church. It's destructive to the effectiveness of the local body. It's destructive to one anothering one another. It just becomes destructive. He also says, let nothing be done through conceit. Conceit means vainglory, empty pride, a desire for praise. And, you know, people do this in ministry, right? We want to we wanna be recognized for the service that we do. We, we do things all the time in conceit. We, in fact, our focus becomes more, less about the ministry that we're involved in and more about how did I do, how did I look, how was I responded to, who thanked me, who didn't, and then we start getting bent out of shape when we didn't get enough pats on the head for doing the ministry that nobody at the church has called you to. Jesus Christ himself has called you to. He saw it, trust me. He saw it. He's honored if you did that ministry by faith. And yet so many times we get caught up in this type of thinking as well. So that's kind of the what not to do in Ephesians 2, 3, um, and 4. But, but in, at the end of verse 3, we start to see what we should do. And Paul says, but, or rather, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And so we see, let each esteem others better than himself. And we see that this phrase even is qualified by the phrase lowliness of mind. And lowliness of mind is literally means low-minded. It means to esteem ourselves small. Um, it means to have the correct estimate of ourselves. That's probably better because sometimes when you think lowliness of mind, some people start to think, well, I, you know, what that means is I have to beat up on myself and tell, tell myself how bad I am and how worthless I am and tell everybody else how bad I am and how worthless I am. And, and you know, I've heard Bible teachers get up and teach the Bible and all they talk about is how bad they are and how worthless they are. And I'm like, enough, dude. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear how bad you are. That's not what I'm here to study. It's how bad and worthless you are. And so there's all, sometimes this can be taken like to an extreme that's unhealthy too. So it's not thinking horribly of yourself. It's just having an accurate view of yourself. You know, like when the police officer pulls you over for speeding, you probably should not say, do you know who I am, right? That's not having a very good or accurate view of yourself. And so many people have that mindset. What is this guy doing? How in the world does he think he can pull me over or give me this ticket or get in my, get in my way in, in some way? And, and here's what's incredible about this mindset for the Greek culture. It would have been completely repulsive to the Greek culture that Paul was writing to in Philippi. In fact, the entire Greek culture at the time. 
they, this would have been repulsive to think of themselves in a low-minded way. This was antithetical to the Greek philosophy, which prided themselves on being better than everybody else. And isn't that the exact society that we live in? You want to be better than somebody else? You're always striving to be a little bit better. There's always a, a criticalness, a competition within everything that we do. And it creeps it itself into ministry. And it creeps itself into the one another's of Scripture. And, you know, if we don't think that we have a problem of this, we don't think that we're too, we think too highly of ourselves. Um, here's a couple questions for you. Why do you get mad uh, at the grocery store parking lot when somebody takes your parking space? Why, why do you get upset with the fast food operator when they mess up your order? Why do you get upset with a waiter or waitress that doesn't give you enough attention? Maybe they're not keeping your water glass filled up enough. Maybe they, they messed up your order. I always, I always enjoy eating out breakfast with different people because I, I have this fascination with the way people order their eggs. Hey, I mean... I don't know. Maybe I didn't grow up in a very sophisticated house. Like I had scrambled and fried. That's all I ever had. And I just, as I eat around, especially people that have, have grown up in houses where people fixed it different ways. I mean, it's like over hard, over medium. I mean, just, and that's like the only ones I remember. I mean, I've heard a, a gazillion more since I've been an adult. And I, and I always find it interesting when they come out because nobody ever seems to get eggs right. You ever had that problem, eat out, and they just can't quite get your eggs right? It's like too runny, too thick, too much white, too much yellow. Whatever you told them you wanted, they never quite understand what to do. And, and, and so some of the times, you know, we get upset with that. We get upset with that. We, we take it out, and it's, it's this idea. It goes back to this, I think, this root cause. I think that we're, we're more important than, than what we are. Or maybe we get upset with somebody because they didn't say thank you when we helped them with something. There is something that is taking off in our culture right now. And let me just kind of bring this into this point because this is, a, this is a secular thing that was printed in psychology today, but I want you to see what conclusion they came to. If they would have just read Philippians 2, we could have saved them 2,000 years on this. But they come to the same conclusion. People have heard of the, the word narcissism, narcissistic. For those that have it, let me define it. This is a read from an article from Psychology Today. It says, narcissism is a serious social and psychological problem. The term refers to an inflated view of the self coupled with relative indifference to others. People who are high in this trait fail to help others unless there's an immediate gain or recognition to themselves for doing so, right? That selfish ambition, conceit. That's, that's why they're doing things. Often uh, they think they're above the law and therefore they violate it. This says no parking except for me. I'm going to park there anyways. You know, kind of that mindset. And readily trample over others in their efforts to rise to the top, which is where they think they belong. A world full of narcissists would be a sad world indeed. This is from a secular source. And then they say this, narcissism is bad, not just for a society as a whole, but also for the individual narcissist. This is a bad thing, even for the narcissist. People high on this trade are often unhappy, angry at the world because of the world's failure to recognize their superiority. Now, check this out. And again, going right into Philippians 2 and going right into the concept of one another and one another. They say this, the characteristic 
that perhaps most distinguishes non-narcissists from narcissists is empathy. Empathy refers to a capacity and tendency to experience life not just from one's own viewpoint, but also from that of others, to feel others' joy and sorrow and to care about others' well-being. Specialists in moral development consider empathy to be the foundation for human compassion and morality. Like I said, just read Philippians 2. 2,000 years ago, and we could have, this is saying exactly the thing. The other thing I wanted to share you with, which is really interesting, is the changes in narcissism over the years. They, they are highly significant statistically and sufficiently large that approximately, listen to this, 70% of college students score higher on narcissism today and lower on empathy than they did the average student 30 years ago. And I say that to say this. Don't fool yourself. Don't be self-deceived. We live in a narcissistic, selfish culture. And if you are being conformed by the culture, you and I will bring that into this local church and we will do everything opposite of what Paul is encouraging us to do. And we will never have the capacity to fulfill the one another's of scripture. You see why this is so important. And I, and I love the way he uses this word, esteem. This is again in verse three. Um, he says, but in lowliness of nine, let each esteem others better than himself. This word esteem means to, to lead out or to go before. Um, metaphorically, because he's talking about the, the way you do it in your mind, it means to lead out before the mind. In other words, think this way. Let this be your primary thought. Let this be, as they say, in your frontal lobe, right? Out, out front in the way that you think. And how are we to think? Well, we're to think, um, and that's I just said that, we're to think better of others. And that means to hold over, to extend over something, to be superior or better than another. And um, literally, it means that others' feelings, others' needs, others' desires are all more important than your own. Lead out with this mindset. How do we practically do this? Well, let me give you a couple of real quick examples. Um, do you, know, do you know what most of us do when we're thirsty? What do we do? We get up and we go get a drink. Now, in my house, I, lately I ring a bell and somebody else gets me a drink. It's free. No, I don't have a bell. But no, we, we go take care of ourselves. And I don't, nobody has to come to church and say, now, remember, when you need a drink this week, you've got to get yourself a drink. No, we don't have to do that. We take care of ourselves. That's how we naturally esteem. We esteem ourselves. We, we lead out thinking about ourselves. When we're tired, what do we typically do? We go lay down. When we're hungry, what do we typically do? For those of you that can't cook, don't answer this question because you do depend on somebody else. What's that? But the rest of us, we, we go make a sandwich, we get a snack. We, we go take care of those needs. How many times in the last week when you were thirsty... Maybe if a family member was there, did you get up and say, I wonder if they're thirsty too? I wonder if they need a drink. How many times did you say, I'm comfortable in here, but I wonder if if so-and-so is cool or hot? Just giving you some examples of how we might lead out with others first. How we might lead out considering others' needs first. You know, so many times, those of us involved in ministry, we we can come into the church 
on a mission. Like we're just going to get our ministry done. We could care less about what else is going on in other people's life. And instead of saying, well, I'm going to get done what I need to get done today. You know what? If I get stopped in the hall, I'm going to sincerely check on the welfare of the person that I'm talking to versus how's it going? Great. And as you're walking off, they say it's not going very well. And you're like, cool. Let me go. I got something to do. We don't lead out that way. We, it's all about us all the time. Many times that's kind of the natural way. You know, it reminds me of, um, you know, poor Carrie. And that's all I can say, being married to me. Do you know that when we had, when we had Abby, Abby's a, a blessing, so don't let this go the wrong way uh, for you. But she had colic the first three months of her life. You know the last place I wanted to be after I got off of work? I did not want to be home. Man, it was a nightmare. It was like a five-alarm fire alarm going off all night long with that, that girl. She had some lungs on her, too. Man, it was bad. And, you know, the first thing that I thought of when I came home after a long day of work was, I hope that Carrie's not at the front door waiting with Abby for me to take her because I just want to sit down in my lazy boy recliner the rest of the night. You know, I, I was working in an alternative high school, which means the kids that are right before they're about to drop off. So I had some, some, some doozies of a day one time so with, the, with these kids that would just light into me. And, um, and so there days I needed to come home. And, you know, that's leading out cons- considering yourself first. Here's what's ironic. In conversations later, Carrie's dream was that the moment I took step through the door is I would come in and just take Abby from her so she wouldn't have to ask me. And, and, and in that moment, we were both leading out with ourselves primary, not, not the other. And so learn that point well, men, uh, as you come home from work and, and women, as, as you, you may work too or may have had a busy day, I, the tendency is to want to just drop down and complain and just dump it all on your spouse. And, but maybe the moment before you walk in the door, maybe Philippians 2, 3, and 4 might come to mind. And you can say, you know what? I'm going to one another, my spouse. Now, I, I don't feel like it. So that means I'm going to have to depend upon the Spirit of God to do that. But you know what? That's the kind of believer I want to be. I want to begin to one another, uh, my spouse, better. And then verse 4. He says, let each of you look not only uh, for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Um, look out means to spy out. Uh, it means to look toward an object to give attention to. And notice he says, not only for your own interest. It, Paul is not teaching that you shouldn't take care of your needs, that you should harm yourself in the process. What he's saying is that they need to give as much attention to others as they do to themselves. I.e., practical example, I'm thirsty, need a drink of water. Maybe I had to check if so-and-so needs a drink. Maybe they're thirsty, too. We've been doing the same thing all day. Maybe they need it, too. It's this mindset of leading out with others in mind, but not just neglecting yourself. Also taking care of yourself, but not, that not being your primary goal. And so this is exactly the kind of mindset that we need to fulfill the one another's of Scripture. And we're not going to be able to do those justice this morning because we're over time. But let me just show you how much info we did not get through this morning so you know what you missed. Sorry about that. 
But many of the, the one another's will fall into this category, this idea of unity of mind within the body of Christ. And so uh, we'll see that in Romans 12, 16 and Romans 15, 5, if you want to look those up later. We'll also see in James 5, 9 that we should not grumble or complain against one another. So that goes with this concept of unity of mind. Uh, another broad category that the one another's fall into uh, is love of one another. And um, one of the things that you'll see here, you, you see a lot of references, and that list is not comprehensive, but you'll see this one anothering command repeated often, that we're to love one another. But what's of interest there is, is the word love is generally the word agape, or it's the verb form agapao, which always indicates, should give us a clue that this is a Holy Spirit-produced love. This is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that can love in and through you and love one another in the body. Because let's be honest, um, not everybody at, at church, now this church is an exception, but other churches I've been to, right? I know of a church. Not everybody at church is lovable, naturally. There's a lot of, you know, prickly pears around <laughs> the local church around the world. Now we, let's admit that. We need the Lord to, to love uh, people through us. And again, gen- genuine spirit-produced love is foundational for any acceptable service to take place. Another uh, look at one another's would have been humility, emphasizing an attitude of humility and deference. Some of the verses, uh, Ephesians 5.21, uh, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, um, where it talks us to be clothed uh, with a continual mindset of re- keeping the clothes on, <laughs> being clothed in humility and keeping that on. And then finally, so the rest, the rest of the one another's where there's kind of multiple one-off topics uh, as it relates to this word, this Greek word, alelon, the, the one another concept. You'll see it come through like bear one another's burden, speak the truth to one another, do not lie to one another, encourage and build one another up, pray for one another, be hospitable to one another, admonish one another, and so on. Then the rest, there are lots of little one-off kind of uh, instructions and one that we were going to look at a little bit more closely, but we just kind of ran out of time, I would encourage you is, is in Ephesians, or Ephesians, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let's just read that in closing, and then we'll be uh, dismissed. And it's really just stressing the importance of getting together with one another, physical presence. I mean, I know we live in a culture where you can pull sermons down from any church in the country and listen to them in your pajamas. You don't even have to come out on a rainy day like this. I mean, I, I get it, but we've got to understand that there's value in meeting together, these, these one another. So if, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And next week we'll look uh, close, closely at an example of Jesus and his acceptable service to others. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, thanks um, for this opportunity to jump uh, into your word and really just dive into this mindset. And uh, Lord, we know it's not natural uh, to think this way, that there's an active uh, volition involved where we need to believe your word Uh, and be actively trusting you and relying upon what you say here. So uh, we pray you'd be with us um, this week, that you'd you'd bring uh, your word to to our our minds, that you'd bring them to remembrance so that we can uh, begin to think uh, the way that you want us to think as we approach uh, other people in this body, as we approach other believers, the one another's, and as we live our life um, outside of these four walls as well. And so we just pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen.